You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. So in your Bibles, on phone, tablet or printed version, Genesis 42. So the story Katrina uh, read for us uh, is part of the episode where Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, He's been falsely accused uh, of sexual harassment in Potiphar's house. He's been imprisoned. Uh, He's interpreted prisoners' dreams. Pharaoh has heard that he's an interpreter of dreams and has asked him to interpret the dreams about the famine that's coming. And Joseph has been elevated to sort of governor, prime minister of Egypt and is organising this supply of grain while there's a severe famine in the land. And we've come to the episode where, as Katrina read, uh, the brothers uh, are sent by their father to Egypt to their storehouses to buy grain. And I've given the title of this uh, teaching sermon a troubled conscience. I've shared with some people that yesterday in the heat of the day I was playing lawn bowls um, from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock which was exhausting. Uh, Friday night uh, I'd been in another competition uh, and Glenn Beverly's husband uh, is in the same club as I am and Friday night I won the competition. Whoa! I've been in four finals and I've only won one. But yesterday, I was uh, playing this competition, and I got through every round. I beat everybody who I played up to that point until I got to the semi-final. And then it was a very close match. And uh, at the last end, I thought my opponent had beaten me. And I was prepared to concede the match. But he said, I don't think my bowl, his bowl, I don't think my bowl is within the boundaries of the game. I said, oh, it looks it to me. He said, no, no. So they got the measure out, and his bowl was outside what the permissible unit, uh, length. So he said, no, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not. If I'm going to win, I want to win fairly. Well, he did win in the end by a lucky bowl. <laughs> by a very lucky bowl, else I would have been in another final. But that comment from an unbeliever, if I'm going to win, I want to win fairly. That is the conscience that God has put in people's minds, that we have that instinctive thing. We want things to be right. Now, our conscience can be changed. We can learn what is right and what is wrong, and we need to do that as we're growing up as children, We can also learn that as Christians, what God says is right and what is wrong. But it's also possible that our conscience can be trained so that what is good we think is bad and what is bad we consider to be good. That's how adaptable our conscience is. And as Christians... We want a clear conscience before God. And that's why it's very significant this morning uh, with the baptisms. Peter, writing to the Christians, says that this water of baptism, it, 
It, water symbolizes baptism that saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience before God. So when people are coming to be baptized, the past is washed clean. Whatever the story of that is, whatever our troubled conscience has been, our guilt is removed because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're able to go through the waters of baptism with a, a clear conscience towards God saying, Jesus, I'm committing my life to you and I want to live rightly in your eyes. But before we come to that place of saving faith, there needs to be repentance. And repentance is from the admission of guilt. And in Genesis 42, which is a, a very long story, um, but very significant for us, in Genesis 42, God uses circumstances outside of the control of these brothers, these sons of Jacob, to trouble their conscience. He starts the process of bringing these men to face the reality of their past behavior. John writing in the gospel, John chapter, chapter, John chapter three and verse 19 and 20, he says that people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light for the, for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. When I was uh, working in the chaplaincy in, in Whitemore in the prison, uh, we ran a course on restorative justice. It was called Sycamore, the Sycamore course, based on the story of Zacchaeus who went up the sycamore tree to see Jesus. And in that, in that course, the, those who have committed crimes are faced with the reality of what they have done. Not just the, the criminal activity they did, but the consequences on their victims. And sometimes they were faced with the, the family of people who had been murdered, or people whose lives had been destroyed by drugs, and people whose conscience could let them get away with it, when faced with it, then had a troubled conscience. I never realized this was what was going on. And for Joseph's brother, their past behavior is still having a profound effect maybe not so much on them but on their father it says in verse 4 joseph did not send benjamin the youngest son jacob did not send benjamin jo joseph's brother with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him he'd sent joseph on an errand to his brothers and that was the last time he saw him and sending his brothers up to Egypt, I'm keeping Benjamin here. I lost, I lost Joseph. I'm afraid of losing Benjamin. Jo Jacob thinks Joseph is dead. That's a story the brothers have told their father. So he wants to keep Benjamin at home. So the brothers go up to Egypt. And when we read the story, some people are a bit alarmed that here is, the, here is Joseph, the brother, now in a, a very commanding position. The brothers come in 
And it seems as if Joseph gives them a very harsh welcome. We portray Joseph as a godly man. Why, why are you treating your brothers like this? It's very interesting that in that moment there comes a fulfillment of the dream Joseph had when he was a young boy. And he did tell his family and his brothers. <laughs> but do you remember the dream about sheaves of corn bowing down? Well, the brothers come in. What do they do? Because of who Joseph is, they bow down in his presence. Now, Joseph must have remembered that. They, Joseph knew who the brothers were. The brothers didn't know who Joseph was. But then he goes, Joseph takes them through a, a, a series of experiences that mirror the experience that Joseph went through. First of all, they're accused of being spies. Joseph says, ah, oh, you say you come here to buy grain, but you're really spying out the land. And notice their, their comment, verse 11. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. Oh, oh yeah. What about the pack of lies you told your father and you're still holding secret? And so they're being wrongly accused, just as Joseph was in Potiphar's house. He says, you can have the grain, but you've got to bring Benjamin here. And they say, oh, no, no, our father is old. You can't do this to us. So now you're concerned about your younger brother. What concern did you show for me when you put me down in the pit? and sent me off as a slave to Egypt. Okay, well, to prove you're honest men, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna keep one of your brothers here. So Simeon is taken into custody. He's bound like a prisoner and kept in custody. When all this is happening, please take note of verse 21, if you've got your Bibles with you. All this has happened. Then they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. Now that's why this distress has come upon us. Maybe a family secret that they had chosen collectively to bury because it's been many years, they all know what we call the skeleton in the cupboard, but we're not gonna mention about it. And now in these circumstances, it's all come flooding back. And they think it's the repercussion, it's the punishment because of their, punish, of their treatment of Joseph. They don't know Joseph can understand what they're talking about. And Can you see the effect? So Joseph is not a hard man. He turned away from them and began to weep. To weep for the relationship that has been broken. To weep for the relationship that will be possible, but not yet. 
I think that's a very important lesson. When relationships break down, sometimes people want it all back instantly. Oh, I'm sorry, let's get all back together, pretend that nothing ever happened. If trust has been lost, trust needs to be built. If, we, if people have been betrayed, you can't expect them automatically and immediately to be exercising trust. It takes time. They pay for their, their grain and they go on their way home. Uh, verse 27. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My, silk, my silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has said? Uh, what is this that God has, uh, has done to us? Now they've pleaded that they're honest men and they haven't stolen the grain. They haven't connived to pinch back their silver. They've no idea how this money has got back in this, in this man's sack. And now they're in trouble. They are honest. But now look, we've robbed the governor. We've robbed the prime minister. What on earth is going to go on now? And that fear of being falsely accused again just as Joseph was in Potiphar's house. And they interpret it because they are men who believe in God. They, they interpret it that the hand of God is in this. God is doing something here which is unsettling and troubling and quite frightening. And the fear is that they've been confronted with their own behavior to confront their own attitude, to confront their own actions. They're saying, what, what has God done to us? Well, can I say, what have I done? I've done nothing, and yet, here's the silver in my sack. And then it goes further. When they came to the home to their father and Jacob, um, they each opened their sacks, and they've all got the silver back. Oh my goodness me. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money, they were frightened. Jacob says to them, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. He's up in prison in uh, Egypt. And now you're saying you've come with this message. You've got to take Benjamin back. Everything is against me. And there is great distress in the family. Now, as Christians, not all of life in every circumstances is happy and wonderful and good and a ball of laughs. There comes times in our life when we will be in deep distress, not because of what other people have done to us, but of the people that we are in our hearts. What the gospel says, all have sinned and fallen short. And it takes a work of the Holy Spirit to bring that realization that in my being, 
in my core being who I am, I fall so short of what God says I should be. I'm not going to show for a, uh, ask for a show of hands, but if you've gone to the shop, and these days, those people that still use money, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and you hand over the, uh, the, the payment, but you're due some change, and they take the change out the till, and they give it to you, you're walking out the shop, you realise they've given you too much change, what do you do? Do we go back and be honest? Is our conscience so sensitive that I cannot take this money because it's not legitimately mine? Now these brothers, they're in a quandary. They've got money that wasn't theirs. It's been put back. How did it get there? We've no idea. We went to buy it and now we've got the money back. What do we do about it? How can we put it right? That's where this story ends. In a few weeks' time, we're going to pick it up again because the story does have a happy ending. There are steps to reconciliation. There is a, such a, an overflow of grace and mercy and out of that comes peace and final reconciliation, but not yet because first, the conscience needs to be pricked. What has God done? And now for the brothers, what have we done? See, we might interpret Joseph's actions in a certain way, say, God, oh, that's, that's no way to rebuild a family. But it is part of the process that God is working in these men to bring a whole restoration, not sweep it under the carpet, not pretend nothing ever happened, but as John's Gospel says, to walk in the light. So there can be an exposure of who I am, but that brings, godly sorrow brings us to repentance. It's interesting that the brothers feel distressed, but they still don't tell their dad the story. They still keep up the charade. And it's gonna take years yet before the whole revelation comes out. He's just cried to them, Joseph's dead. Well, they think he is dead, but we were complicit in that. And they're still carrying on the charade. Let me bring you some good news. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, Jesus talks to the disciples about the work of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus leaves, he says that the Holy Spirit is coming and... Um, in, in John's Gospel, Jesus often talks about the, the work of the Holy Spirit to the believer. He'll be the counsellor, he'll be the guide, he'll be the one who never leaves you. But in John 16 and verse 8, Jesus talks about when the Holy Spirit comes to the world. And he says, John 16 verse 8, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, see the first thing he says that the Holy Spirit will do in the world he will convict of sin. This is the only mention in John's Gospel of Jesus talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And his first job is to convict of sin. 
oh, we're meant to make people feel better. We're meant to, you know, <laughs> come on, have a laugh, join the, join the club. Life is going to be good. But the first step to faith is repentance, and repentance from what? From sin. Repent, believe, be baptized. And then John, quoting the words of Jesus, tells us what this sin really is. It's not that I kept the change from the till in Tesco, though that is wrong. It's not that my temper always gets the best of me and I speak out of order, though that's not good. He says, in regard to sin, because people, people do not believe in me. And the biggest sin, the primary sin in the world, is that people have not accepted the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And why don't they accept him? Because he goes on to say, because in regard to righteousness. Because if you talk to most people out in the world, they will say, I'm good enough. And my life must be pleasing to God because I've been so I've been kind to my neighbour, I don't kick the cat and or whatever, I give the change back at Tesco, whatever. I'm good enough. And they don't accept the righteousness of God, which is holy and perfect and good in every way. And they think people can make it on their own. And the gospel is you can make it, but you can't make it on your own. You can make it through Jesus. And to reject him is to reject the plan of salvation, the only hope for the world, because there is judgment coming, as the Holy Spirit reminds people too. And that's why it's so important on this day of baptism. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but as we go through the waters of baptism, we're declaring, I can't do this by myself. I'm not good enough. But Jesus is good enough and he accepts me as I am, forgives my sins and makes me his own child and I'm into the family. Now life can begin to be good. So this water, it's not for cleaning the outside. It's a symbol of cleaning the inside. And once, once we're cleansed from guilt and shame... Then we become, our lives become a temple, a dwelling place for God and the Holy Spirit can fill us to overflowing. Just as the water will overflow on the outside, so today we're praying. We're praying the Holy Spirit will fill to overflowing on the inside. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. You might start off with a troubled conscience, but then we come to the point where, as Paul confidently says, now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and whom the Son sets free from the past is free indeed. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we pray? Thank you, Father, that in this world of so many confusing philosophies and ideas, 
and religions. Thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ shines as a light in a darkened age. And your message is very clear and very simple, that we need to believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And here you found a company of people who do that. We together confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Saviour. And in him, all our sins are washed away. And we can begin again a new life in you. Thank you for the testimony that is around this room, who people have found in you a living hope. And we pray, Lord, that the release of your Holy Spirit into this community so that many more people with a troubled conscience may come and bow their knees at Jesus uh, and accept him as their Lord and Saviour. And we pray together as uh, Alex and Harley go through these waters that, Lord, you'll seal the forgiveness of sins in their life. And we pray that, Holy Spirit, you will drench them with your presence and your power on the inside. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.